thanks to our title sponsor, National University. National University is committed to supporting veterans, active duty personnel, and military families through flexible online courses and master's and doctoral programs in high-demand fields, providing excellent career advancement opportunity. National University is a yellow ribbon school that proudly accepts the post-9-11 GI Bill and goes the extra mile by offering additional assistance to cover expenses that may not be covered by the GI Bill. To learn more, visit nu.edu forward slash veteran. Welcome, everybody. This is Boat coming at you with the 4th of July intermission episode. Seeing as this is our fourth year as a podcast, we figured why not send us through the rest of the summer with a lovely little bit of an intermission. We've been pretty busy up to this point, and I know the last episode on the P-51 was a massive hit. Rain did an amazing job as our uh, guest co-host last week, and obviously our guest host of honor, Bud Anderson, was amazing. The feedback that we've gotten from all of you has been fantastic, and I am happy to report that Bud is in recovery from an illness that he sustained and is home recovering well, but he uh, loved what he heard and his website and his book sales have gone through the roof according to his publicist, if you will. So just an amazing bit of feedback and whatnot on the uh, episode and everything like that. A little bit of an uh, update on where we're at with the Warbird series. I have some uh, feelers out there for some future guests and whatnot, and I know I'll uh, talk with my guests coming in here shortly about where that's going. Obviously, the, uh, the elephant in the room that I spoke to last week was the situation with Jello's brother and Rocky's passing. And so my guest this week, we're going to flip the tables here, and we're going to bring Jello on as our guest this week. So uh, Jello, my friend, welcome back to the show. Hey, Bo, thanks. It's good to get back to a little bit of normalcy in what has been a very crazy month for me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we'll just ask the question up front, how has everything been going and you know, kind of what have you experienced in all this or whatever you feel like sharing? Sure. Well, first off, let me just amplify uh, what you said about the P-51 episode. It turned out to be uh, my sister-in-law was saying that was Rocky's favorite aircraft and the timing was perfect. So a little serendipity there. And yeah. it's always fun to listen to your own show and, and you just hit it out of the park. So I am so grateful that you are helping with the show. And I enjoyed listening, as you said to Bud, what an amazing character. You know, we're doing better. It was a gut punch, no doubt about it. I don't know about you, but you spend a career in military aviation and you experience, I guess, I don't know if it's that the right way to put it, but you kind of live around death. Yeah, And I've had friends die, some right in front of me, and it's hard, but boy, I, that didn't prepare me for this. No, I have never been in your shoes, and you know, I have a younger brother, and fortunately for me, he's still around, but I can empathize with where you've been. My wife and I lost a child at about eight months into a pregnancy, mm. and that was a gut punch. And again, like you said, we kind of talk through as fighter pilots, we talk through what combat's going to feel like. We listen to the stories from those that came before us and everything, but Man, until you experience that firsthand, you don't really know what it feels like. And uh, yeah. so I know, obviously, the outpouring of support from the listener base and thus us within the podcast itself has been huge. And we're so thankful that we were able to at least do a little bit to help hopefully ease a little bit of that burden. Oh, gosh. Yeah, you guys did a lot. I mean, your bonus episode was spot on. Thank you so much. And then, like I said, the P-51 remarks were great. I was just, I'll tell you, overwhelmed by 
the support of the listeners, whether it was emails or Facebook posts or in some cases texts for those who have my number. Just the outpouring was overwhelming. And so I certainly had no lack of places to turn if I needed a shoulder to cry on. And believe me, there was plenty of that. Sure. So the Patreon supporters, I recorded a little video for them and announcing what had happened. And I said, look, if you want a refund for this month, because I'm not going to be able to finish what we decided to do. And you know, everybody was like, are you kidding me? Go take care of family. Some people even increased their giving. It was just, I was just overwhelmed. I really was. And so the GoFundMe thing that I guess it's technically in my name, but you guys helped get that set up. Golly, <laughs> it went into a low orbit. I mean, yeah. the family I hope is going to be well taken care of. And it's a little early yet to talk to my sister-in-law about that. But I think this is really going to help. I mean, everyone, not just the listeners, but Rocky worked for Yamaha and now more recently KTM. And so the motorcycle community also really stepped in. And so it was awful, no doubt, but certainly a glimmer of the good side of humanity followed yeah. and, and that was encouraging. Yeah, that's great. I look at all the Facebook and Instagram and everything, and it was very apparent that you've made an impact on people's lives for the better. And I know that is something I can say as well. So I'm glad to hear that everything's kind of on the up and up, if you will. I know it's all relative. Yeah. They say you get better, but you never get over it, I guess, is what I'm told. Yeah. So. I would agree very much. We lay him to rest on uh, July 12th. Okay. Very good. I know that'll be obviously another impactful day. Oh, yeah. Never good. But it's always hard to kind of reopen that wound, if you will, a little bit. But it's a necessary thing. It is. And my hope is, yeah, you're right. You know, we're going to tear open the scar that's begun healing. But on the other hand, it should heal, I hope, more quickly after that. Plus, yeah. you know, Rocky, he couldn't make an enemy if he tried. I mean, he was so <laughs> loved that they're going to hold the ceremony at the track where he met his demise. And a lot of his friends were riders. And so they're expecting several hundred people. And if nothing else, it'll be a great reunion for a lot of folks that I know and from our childhood. And I definitely miss him. And I'm obviously bummed as is my other brother that, you know, it's a chapter in life, but I don't know about as we get older, I guess I'm told you got to kind of almost get used to this because at some point people get older and their health can have issues or your folks get older. And so, you know, there was a season for weddings. Remember that like yeah, 10 or 20 yep. years ago, you went to a lot of weddings and then right. you went to a lot of baby showers. And I guess this is the next season and I'm not sure I'm ready. Yeah, no, that's fair. Well, we won't belabor that point anymore. I think hopefully the listeners can appreciate your level of appreciation and gratitude for everything. Indeed. And, um, so, you know, Jello, we've been humping it pretty hard leading into the summer. And, and then obviously this all went down. So I figured let's enjoy a little bit of our summer, put a little bit of a shorter episode together, clean out the mailbag. Uh, we've got a few voicemails that I thought we might be able to get through. And then from there, we'll look to uh, what's going down the rest of the summer and uh, the rest of the fourth year of the uh, podcast. So why don't we start it off with a voicemail from Gabriel Brown and I'll start answering this one, Jello, and then we'll uh, go back and forth and see what happens. How about that? Let's do it. Hey, Jello. The name is Gabriel Brown. I am from Mobile, Alabama. I was wondering, I was listening to some of the earlier episodes about air missions and the aircraft. And I remember hearing on one of the episodes talk about IFF tags and you know, the first person to patent the IFF idea which I thought was really cool. I had no idea that it existed that early in the 20th century. Anyway, my big question is this. As a former fighter pilot yourself, how would you think an Air Force or a Navy would deal with identifying friendlies when their adversary flies the same aircraft? Say, for example, let's just say Greece and Turkey 
we know a lot of times when they're flying over the uh, Mediterranean or Black Sea that they'll encounter each other and they'll do a couple of maneuvers against each other and then head home. They both fly F-16s, and as far as I know, both of their aircraft are painted very similarly. So how would IFF work with such a thing, and how reliable would IFF be in that situation where if you have several F-16s from the Greek Air Force and several from the Turkish Air Force, if they start merging and turning with each other, I mean, how reliable would the IFF be when you're in the heat of a fight, say, with an aircraft that looks exactly like yours? I hope you understood the question and can't wait to hear the answer on this one because this has been stuffing me for a long time. Thanks. All right. Well, Gabriel, thanks for the question. Yeah, that's a valid question, especially in this stage of proliferation of aircraft. Your example there, uh, Greece and Turkey, they both obviously fly F-16s. They may not be painted the same, but when you're in a visual arena, that's going to be real tough to discern, I would say, what the aircraft is that you're going up against. The advantage that we have now, as opposed to in World War II or anywhere where the within visual range environment was the prominent engagement source, is the fact that we have other electronic intelligence gathering pieces of equipment. Uh, We have way better intelligence sources before an aircraft ever launches. Then you're using your own radar and you pretty much should know where those enemy aircraft are coming from. So I would say that that really only becomes a really big factor when you're within the visual range. If you're shooting long range, you know, AMRAMs or any other uh, radar guided missiles, those things are going to take care of it at range and you'll never see the guy. So it won't really be a factor, but I don't know, Jell, did you ever experience any of this kind of scenario when you're doing your radar presentations? Well, only in training, right? Because a lot of times we would use the F-18 to simulate the bad guy. And oh, by the way, the good guys fly F-18s. And so it was very difficult. But I think to the crux of Gabriel's point, if you've got two F-16s on opposing countries going after each other, he mentioned the IFF, right? So the interrogator, friend, or foe. And so most aircraft have modes one through four. And everyone might be, at least if you do a little bit of flying, be familiar with mode three which is what air traffic control uses. And then Charlie is the altitude. But I think maybe what Gabriel's not considering is that if you and I are on one side boat, we're going to load our modes one, two, and four with certain codes. And we're going to look for those codes in any target, right? And so the other side might do something very similar. So I can't necessarily use IFF to say it's absolutely an enemy, but I might be able to use it to say it's lack of friendly. And there's a difference there. Yeah, That's where the IFF comes in, Gabriel. But the way I understood his question, I almost made it sound like he was thinking about using IFF in the visual arena. And at that point, you're all eyeballs out. You're really not doing anything when it comes to a dogfight. You just got to know who your target is. And if you've got opposing aircraft meeting at the merge, I don't know about you, Boat, even in training, after one... 90 or 180 degree turn, forget it. I couldn't tell who was who anymore, you know? I don't think I've ever looked at the roundels to determine what country that aircraft came from ever. So I think it's going to be a real mess, but the last thing you want to do is shoot down your buddy. And so, like you said, if you can take care of business BVR, that's going to solve a lot of this. And the IFF should be a part of that as well as other sensors. And then when you get within visual arena, you have to just make sure you don't commit a fratricide because in training, I don't know about in the Air Force, but, but for us in the Navy, if you were in Fallon doing the air wing training and you were buying the keg that night at the club, so that's a big offense. That's a big, expensive offense. Yeah. And uh, I know at least for certain squadrons or for certain units and stuff, for the Air Force, we call our service dress uniforms blues. So you'd be in blues, basically kind of doing the whole deal of, hey, you lost a wingman and you're writing a letter to the oh, wow. spouse. 
you're still buying the bar or a keg or whatever it is, but you're also yeah. taking it to that level of, of seriousness because again, the last thing you want to do is shoot down your own friendly, whether it's your countryman or somebody else's. But yeah, Gabriel, that's a great question. I think it's a valid way to think about it when it comes to IFF. But once you enter the, the individual arena, like Jella said, your eyeballs out there. So, yep. well, let's get another one from Dave from Michigan. Hey, Jello, this is Dave from Michigan. I just had a show idea for you as I was driving and listening to a podcast regarding the upcoming Top Gun movie. The call signs in the movie are just way too cool. I mean, come on. You got Phoenix, Hangman, Maverick. Those are way too cool. So after the movie comes out and you watch it, I feel like you should get a couple of your fighter pilot buddies in for a podcast. And let's do a hostile renaming podcast where you take little quips or mistakes or silly things that they did from the movie and rename those pilot call signs in the movie. I think that would be an entertaining, fun show to listen to. I'm really looking forward to Top Gun 2, and I'm sure you are too. So thanks, man. Love the show. See ya. All right. So Dave, I think I will probably lean on Jello for this one since this is more of his arena, Yeah. but we can definitely go through the hostile rename concept in general. So Jello, what are your thoughts post-release of this movie that's taken forever? Well, even before we started the listener questions, you said we might talk about the show for the rest of the year. And so if Paramount works with us and doesn't move the goal line again, <laughs> and we can have Top Gun Maverick, not Top Gun 2, by the way, just a semantic point, but Top Gun Maverick come out on, I think it's November 19th, then yeah, I've, my hope is that we can do a Top Gun month and we'll spend some shows leading up to it, preparing for the movie and then the advisor to the paramount from the navy who has been on this show has told me he will come back schedule permitting he might be a bit of a novelty and have to go do the dog and pony everywhere but if he can he'll come back and so yeah dave if we can spend some time asking him what he thought the call signs should be that might be a little more fun than <laughs> what they settled on because even the uh remember the clown penis skit on SNL, yeah. right? It was other than him. I think the other guys were like Sidewinder and That's right. Warlock or something. So yeah, stereotypes are got to have cool call signs. But in reality, as we both know, that is usually not the case. Usually quite the opposite. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. I think uh, we'll get some Facebook polls or something out there and get some votes to see what we can get for creativity at sure. least. I think that's worthwhile for sure. Yeah, sounds good. Awesome. Well, we'll get a, uh, a voicemail now from overseas. Hi, Jello. This is Michael from Slovakia, writing uh, together for a while time. I was wondering, still listening and just uh, continuing to catch you with the last episode and still uh, did not find the answer. for. So here is my question. When the squadron is going to be deployed on an aircraft carrier, and if I understand well, you are changing aircraft carrier from deployment to deployment. What is the whole procedure before you go to the aircraft carrier? I mean, how the aircraft goes to the, on the carrier, how they prepare all the spaces like the briefing room and bunks and sleeping compartments. And when all the parts of the squadrons are going onto the ship, what is the whole process and who decides which squadron is we're going to be deployed on which aircraft carrier for which certain time. Thank you very much for your answer. Uh, love your podcast, uh, listening with my folks in Slovakia. Hope uh, one day you come over here and 
maybe you will have a chance to see a MiG-29 flying. Thank you very much, and keep going. Bye. All right, but well, despite your call sign, why don't I grab this one? So it's a really good question. And yeah, uh, Michael and I do communicate quite a bit. Uh, he messages and I write him back. So I usually do for most people, just try to provide the service I would want if I had a show I really liked. And so basically what happens is prior to an air wing and a carrier meeting up for the first time, they will have a big meeting where the senior members of the air wing staff and the ship's company We'll get together and there will be a list of different space requirements and space availability. You can kind of think of this almost like a landlord tenant situation. So the ship is the landlord, the air wing is the tenant. When the air wing embarks, then they're going to give them some spaces to use. And generally a tiger team will show up in advance and they will paint all the doors and put stickers on. And sometimes they'll even paint the walls or change the floor. Uh, I've seen people put in a new floor, like tile kind of thing, and they might put uh, like a logo of the squadron. And if you step on it, you know, you owe a round at the next time you go into the port. And then, you know, if there's any discrepancies or complications, then it goes to the big XO and he can help figure out who's who. But in general, once the squadrons take custody of their spaces, they own them and they are required to keep them clean and safe for sea. And when the air wing does embark and off they go, well, it's not like an us and them anymore. They really do work well together. Obviously, there's always going to be little issues. But when it comes right down to war fighting, whether it is operating the air wing off the carrier, which some of the folks up on the flight deck are air wing folks, but a lot of them are ship's personnel, well, they work pretty well together and they'll have meetings to work out any discrepancies or differences. And then, God forbid, battle damage or an emergency or fire or flooding or something like that, then everybody's got a role and you report to your battle stations and you might fight the fire, you might deal with flooding, you might, in the case of us pilots, just basically go to the ready room and be available in case they need you to fly. And so it's a team concept. And yes, as you would imagine, Michael, there is coordination that takes place well in advance. And then once the carrier pulls back in, if you're going to leave, then you take your toys with you. You probably leave the doors, whatever color you painted them, and then the next squadron can do the same thing and off you go. In the old days, it was really rare to switch. These days, it's more and more common. You just got to deal with it. It's just one of those things. How's that sound, Boat? Does that make sense? Yeah, that all makes sense. I was going to ask a follow-up question to like your living quarters. Does that yeah. also kind of apply to your living quarters? Are you guys pretty much in those the whole time? And can you guys kind of manipulate or modify those in, in some ways? Or what does that look like? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so you might have, if you're a lieutenant or an O3, you might have a six-man or an eight-man bunk room with all your friends. So you'll bring like little rope lights or, uh, you know, little fun lights that you can put up. You might bring carpet because everything is tiled otherwise, and it just softens the room and makes it a little more livable. People will bring stereos and espresso machines and various things. And I don't know. I don't remember any seeing those, but it just came to me. You know, like candles were forbidden type of thing, right? You're not going to have a microwave or a barbecue grill or something crazy. I mean, fire on a ship is a big deal. And they will paint the stateroom doors just so you can kind of tell whose squadron it is. Yeah. And then uh, when you are getting close to coming back into port, certain things might find their way overboard if you don't want them anymore, which doesn't make the environmentalists happy, I realize, but it's true. And then other things you pack up and bring home. If you're going to be off the ship for a year, let's say, you don't leave anything on the ship. You might have a tiger team that stays and watches out for certain things, but you don't certainly leave anything in the stateroom because the ship will go out to see and do carrier qualifications for the training command squadrons, let's say. So anything you left behind, it tends to walk off, dare I say. Yeah, that's fair. 
Well, very good. Let's hit our last question here. And this is uh, Rob, a fellow airline pilot, and he had a kind of an interesting one. Hey, Vincent, it's Rob. I fly for the same union with an airline that starts with you. I've had a buddy of mine sit in your jump seat, but my question is, have you ever came across a phony fighter pilot? I have, in my regional days, I asked him a bunch of questions, and he's a phony. I can tell he's a phony. Anyway, besides that, my girlfriend says you have a great podcast voice, so keep that up. <laughs> I also have flown in my regional days with an Iraqi fighter pilot who made 21s, big 23s, L-39s. I also flew with a POW who flew tornadoes on the first day of golf where he got shut down, and an F-14 guy. This is all in my regional days. I was also a Civil Air Patrol member who almost made it to captain. I was a first lieutenant. I guess I tested for captain but never got it. But you're doing a great job, so keep it up. Everyone loves the voice. Well, Rob, like I was leading into that, yeah, it's a very interesting situation. I have seen videos online of what I think is affectionately called stolen valor, people pretending to be fighter pilots. But in in most of the videos online, it's somebody that's maybe in the Army or the Marines or something of that nature. I've, I've never heard of a fighter pilot, and I've definitely never flown with anybody that I've asked enough questions to, I guess, wonder Mm. if they were actually telling me the truth. I don't know, Jelly, you have any experience with anything like that? Well, I'll tell you, when I was a flight student, they busted some guy in the Pensacola Officers Club of all places. I don't know why this guy would be brazen enough to go there, but I don't even know if he was military, but he was wearing like a flight suit and a jacket with patches. And it looked a lot like a like boat you would know probably instantly like i couldn't identify what you guys wear but you probably could right and so you kind of just like "Mm, something's not right and so somebody started asking him questions and his answers had holes in it and so yeah basically the guy was a total fraud and he just wanted to go hang out there and pretend he was cool and i don't know i mean is it our first amendment right that we can dress how we want and pretend to be something i mean i guess if you're stealing something that's one thing whether it's valor or otherwise I don't know. No, I personally never met anyone who I've called out. Uh, I've got a supporter on the show who has. He uh, also flies like our caller did, Rob, and and he's called out a few people for exaggerating or flat out lying. I'm just glad I've never had to deal with it because it's just, I guess, the ugly side of humanity. We talked at the beginning with respect to my brother on the positive side, and I like to focus on that. But certainly, we as a species have a very ugly side as well. That is very true. And obviously, we all take our military service seriously and and are very appreciative of those that dedicate their lives to service in some form or fashion. So I think there is obviously some personal connection to that when it comes to as a military member seeing somebody imitating you know, not going through it. And there's a million reasons why you may not be able to enter service. Definitely. It's hard to watch somebody yeah. that is purposely trying to fake people out. So yeah. Um, yeah, Rob, great question for, at least for us, no direct contact. So yeah. well, folks, that'll do it for the uh, voicemails and the listener questions for this intermission episode, but Jello, anything else you want to cover for kind of what's coming up in the month of July or for the rest of the year? I know we've got a bunch of exciting things, but anything specific you want to cover? Well, and exciting is a good word because I've been thinking that I definitely want to, at some point when the time is right, you know, return to the normal sunny demeanor of this show. And I feel like you and I have been a little bit subdued and I guess that's right. I mean, it's still on this episode, I should say it's still right. And I'm still in the grieving process. I mean, I'm, 
getting into the anger stage. I just finished a four-day rotation last night, boat, and I'll tell you, I mean, it wasn't like at the air traffic control or any of the passengers, but like any little injustice just totally set me off. It's so I, <laughs> I can tell I'm short-triggered or whatever the expression is, and uh, you know, I hope I don't end up like uh, you know that movie Gran Torino where uh, Clint Eastwood like get off my lawn, you know, yeah. just a big grouch. <laughs> I don't want right. to become that kind of guy, and I certainly don't want the show to become this big downer kind of show but you know i think it's okay for a season but we're going to get back to our hopefully normal routine and in fact next time on the 14th of july we've got an episode coming up on the c17 which will be really great it's with a patch wearer and a demo pilot awesome at the end of the month actually i'll put it back to you i I think you said something at the top about looking into some different aircraft but are you going to be back with another warbird that is the plan. I don't have a firm handle quite yet exactly what that's going to look like, but I have some really good options on the table and okay. some good collaboration is about to start taking place. We're just trying to nail it to all the final uh, little details out there. Crossing the I's, dotting the T's, if you will, Okay, making sure all that stuff looks good. But yeah, we've got some really good stuff coming forward in the Warbird side of the house. And I know there's some fun stuff coming up this fall, specifically with Top Gun Maverick, like we talked about, and a Top Gun month and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it's going to be awesome. If you don't end up finding one, I've had an A3 Sky Warrior interview since last September that I've yet to air. So it's not quite a warbird, but maybe we can treat it as one. Sure. And we can slip that in there. But now to your point, for August, those of you who have been around and listened to episode 100, you might remember I was telling our guest, Rob Kibbe, who always shows up at the end of the year, that we've been working on this new podcast called The Merge. This follows, if you're familiar with Serial, It's a serialized style of podcast where we'll take a season with multiple episodes and we'll tell a story in long form. And we're almost done. We're getting very close. It's been a long time coming and uh, it's going to be, I think, really interesting first season. And so my hope, Boat, is to take those first three episodes of The Merge and simulcast them, if you will, on the FPP, even though they'll be on their own channel where you can go subscribe. My thinking is, well, we've got built-in listeners who should hopefully enjoy it. It is military aviation. Don't worry. We're not all of a sudden selling you uh, cat toys, but (laughs) it's going to be military aviation story, just longer form. And we're just going to simulcast that. And what that'll do is allow you and me and the team to take a little break and work on some FPP stuff. And then into the fall. Yeah. I'm not quite sure yet if we'll do a bomber month this year or not, but we're hoping to do Top Gun month. I think we're going to do another episode on the F-35. I've got a guest who has a lot of experience in its early development. We're going to bring him back and talk about some of the controversy surrounding it. And we've got a lot of other just really great topics lined up. So I am uh, bullish, shall I say, on the Fighter Pilot Podcast through the rest of the year. It's going to be really good. And I think everybody's going to enjoy all the different kind of avenues of uh, aviation that we get to cover. And I know I'll be up at Oshkosh at the end of uh, July. So for anybody that's going up there, come back over to the NORAD booth. If you came up to Sun and Fun, doing the same thing just now at Oshkosh. So please come say hi, check in with me. And I think we've got a little bit of a group trip out to a fairly famous gathering in the fall planned as well. So that'll be good. I don't know if we're going to do a live show or something from there, but that would be pretty fun. They're a little fearful of uh, live media at the annual <laughs> Tailhook Convention. I wonder why. So, I wonder why. Yeah, <laughs> we're going to get the team together, like you said, uh, the band, I guess, and have a lot of fun, I hope, but also lay down a lot of foundation for stuff for the future. Yeah, absolutely. That's no, going to be great. Good stuff. Well, Jill, I don't know. Anything else you want to fade away with before we uh, head off into the sunset of uh, Independence Day and, and everything that uh, that brings for the United States? 
Oh yeah, I you know such a great holiday, and uh, I'll probably be flying because I'm relatively junior in my category. But for everyone else, I hope they have a, a great Independence Day if you celebrate such a thing. And appreciate again everyone's support of the show in general, but also me and my family during this very difficult time. I will leave you with this little salacious nugget boat. We are, as you know, but don't give it away, working on an entirely new podcast, not the merge, but something else. And it's going to be devoted to a single aircraft. And oh, by the way, it is a crowd favorite aircraft. So if everything works out, that'll be debuting in September. More details forthcoming, but we are in works on that. I think it'll be a really fun. We've got two great hosts lined up for that. I'm really looking forward to it. Nice. That'll be awesome. Well, I will leave them with that in uh, bated breath, anticipation, whatever word you want to put to it, but that's going to be great. Well, folks, that'll do it for us uh, this week, and we'll be back with our normal episode routine starting on uh, July 14th. For uh, all of us here at the uh, podcast, thanks again for listening. We do appreciate all of you, and we look forward to hanging out with you guys down the road. We'll see you later. Thanks to our title sponsor, National University. National University is committed to supporting veterans, active duty personnel, and military families through flexible online courses and master's and doctoral programs in high-demand fields, providing excellent career advancement opportunity. National University is a yellow ribbon school that proudly accepts the post-9-11 GI Bill and goes the extra mile by offering additional assistance to cover expenses that may not be covered by the GI Bill. To learn more, visit nu.edu forward slash veteran.